Lord, Father, God, Lord, you know every heart here. You know each of us. You know our thoughts. You know our habits. Lord, I just thought that you speak through me this morning. Let us know what's on your heart. Lord, as we go, I want to pray for my voice before we start. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I've been fighting with my voice for over a week. This season, with the nativity and the Messiah, what does that mean? He's everlasting and he's God with us. He's in here. For every one of us that have called on his name. We don't have to worry about anything. God's in charge. I've quit watching the news on TV because it's all dark instead of light. I still watch preachers on TV, and if I'm honest, I still watch baseball games and a few little things like that. I want to focus for just a minute on what the term God with us really means. Where can we go where God is not? You already know the answer. Does it matter how we feel? No. Does it matter what we do? Even then, God is with us. When I was first saved, I had been in the habit of going to a tavern. And I realized immediately, I can't take him in there. He loves us. This message has one point. Jesus loves his church and he wants his church to love him. He died for it. The church, God's community of grace, established to evangelize, disciple, teach, exhort, minister, fellowship, and worship together. So how do we love him? Luke 6.46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Apparently, no, even stronger than that, we show our love for Jesus by our works. Our works don't save us, we know that. Our faith saves us. But then, once we're saved, we're part of this church that he died for. And the church has some very definite assignments and some very definite rules for behavior. 
I love the Lord, and I love this church. I've been here a long time. Mavis was here even before I was. But Scripture says, even though I'm old, to finish strong. And after today, I'm probably finished. I've given a testimony of my salvation many times. You all heard it. Instead of using my wordy description, I want to borrow from Josh McDowell, the author of Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and his testimony. I read it because it's so parallel to what I went through, but it's worded better. I'm quoting. Somebody asked me, how do you know? I said, look, I was there. It changed my life. That night I prayed four things to establish a relationship with the resurrected living Christ, which has since transformed my life. First I said, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. As we, as we celebrate this Advent season, it's awfully easy to push that cross out of the way. But that baby is the one that's going to die on that cross. God sent him for a reason. The reason was to save us. And we are. And we are a church that Jesus loves. He finished up by saying in his fourth prayer, the last thing I prayed was, thank you for coming into my life by faith. A faith based not on ignorance, but upon evidence, facts of history and God's word. We know all that, right? The, the part that hits me is that one Saturday morning, in the blink of an eye, I went from being a total cynic, not a skeptic, a cynic, to a believer. To a believer in everything Scripture said. Every value I had turned upside down. He does that. The sad part is, if we look around, there are an awful lot of people that aren't here to contribute to our task. First, let me say, God has blessed RBC with our church staff and with those that have filled the pulpit for these last several weeks. Todd's sermon on prayer hit me square between the eyes. Dale's sermon on two dimensions, and we got to learn to live with two different dimensions. 
That's why God sends us the Holy Spirit. We're, it's impossible for us to do that without Him. A big thanks to Scott, BJ, and Travis for the work they do to keep this place rolling. They're overburdened. We need to be volunteering to help. That's what the church is supposed to do. Yes, we've hired them as staff, but they're not slaves. They're like we are. They have lives to live. The, the pulpit, the, the ones that have filled the pulpit, Hassan gave a sermon on salvation that was so detailed you could not possibly un- misunderstand it. And BJ always reaches in, takes my heart out, beats it up, and then puts it back in there. But God has really blessed us in these times. We need to remember that. In addition to that, after Travis left, we had a joint meeting of the deacons and the PAT team and the staff. About 20 20 men gathered together to try to figure out what do we do now? Well, for some of us that are experienced, we've been here before. It took us almost two years to get Stanley. But we had John Robinson at the interim, so we were okay. Scott came during that period. Came by faith. The pastor search team has committed a great deal of time and energy to solve that problem for us now. We need to be praying for them. That's not an easy task. To me, the biggest wonder, and it's been that way for a long time, the biggest wonder is why God would let me, rebellious as I am, be part of his church and even worse than that commission me to bring salvation to others obviously we can't save anybody but we can help them the difference the big big difference is the Holy Spirit It's all about what he does. If he's not in it, it ain't going to happen. And if he is in it, it's going to happen. Without him, I couldn't even believe in God, much less understand Scripture. It seemed like nonsense. But now, with the Holy Spirit, Scripture makes sense. I apologize here. I'm I'm sorry I'm looking at my notes so much, but I want to get this right. 
Because he's here, I know I'm a sinner. And I know how rebellious I am. But God has wonderfully removed the death sentence. I'm free. And I can tell others. And that's why he let me be in his church. Again, this message has one point. Jesus loves his church, and he wants his church to love him. His purpose for us is to become a church, learn to enjoy his love, his desire for us. How often do you think about that? What's Jesus' desire for each and every one of us? to be with him for each and every one of us his desire and his fellowship our fellowship with each other one thing I learned from the pandemic was isolation is not good isolation is bad we help strengthen each other. And when we can't get together, that doesn't work. Seems to me he said that in here somewhere. Let me read the first four verses of Ephesians chapter 2. This is out of the Living Translation, so you may have a different text. I better get this where I can read it, though. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins... You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's, he's the spirit that works in the hearts of those who disobey God. All of us used to love that way, live that way, following our passions and desires. By very nature, we were subject to God's anger. That's a pretty bleak description of us, but it's also very scriptural. And it describes me to a T. that marvelous transition that takes place is what we all need to remember. God changed us. God loves us. God is with us. And we are, as the text said, we are with each other. We are each other's strength. One, one of the obvious duties of the church and that includes all of us is to evangelize the world read Matthew 28 <laughs> that's what Lottie Moon is offering is all about 
the Lottie Moon offering that we put money into means we are, in fact, helping evangelize the world, which God says is our primary duty. But for now, I mean, he's, he said we're not appointed to God's wrath. And he said he's going to come back and take us with him, John 14. But for now, we're here. With three, with the helps given in Ephesians 1, I didn't read them, but they are the Holy Spirit, the Bible, the church, and every spiritual blessing. God has given us as helps to deal in this world with the Holy Spirit, the Bible, the church, and every spiritual blessing. If you read scripture, we are missing nothing. We have all the Holy Spirit there is. He doesn't just come partially. Why don't we all feel like that? It's up to us. The time we spend with the Lord, the time we spend reading scripture, the time we spend with each other. The, the, our enemies are listed in Ephesians chapter 2. Satan, the way of the world, and the hardest one, our own sinful nature. We have his spirit. We have his great commission. We're in the place he put us at the time of his choosing. We are his body of believers. There are a lot of other congregations that are his body of believers. And collectively, our mission as the church is to do his work. This is not optional. It's what scripture says he did. He made us his church, and we have duties to perform. Frank Pollard said it well. I just want to quote him. He loves his church not for doctrine, though we do learn scriptures, not for its deeds, though many good things happen, not for preaching or singing, although I love them, but it is the heart of Christ. We, he built it. He owns it. It's Jesus' response to the world's greatest need, redemption. When, when Scripture says the Holy Spirit comes, the owner is here. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we, management consultants always said is the owner has to have a presence. He has a presence, it's us. I love my church for all of those reasons. In addition, because it's where I was saved and it's where my brothers and sisters are. Hebrews 
10, 23 through 25 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate each other and not neglect our meeting together as a habit of some. But encourage one another, especially as the day of his appearing draws near. What does that mean? He's coming back. What kind of a report card will we have? Because we know what we're supposed to do. I mean, it's pretty obvious. How much of it do we do? I know, I'm preaching to the choir. This is the group of people that does. But we are to be zealous for the fellowship. As members of the church he loves, we are responsible to encourage, exhort, and use our spiritual gifts where the church needs them most. To do less, sitting in the pew and nothing else, or staying home and watching on the internet, is disobedient unless providentially hindered, and some are. I must confess falling into that trap with the advent of the pandemic. I heard someone quip in describing that period of time, if you get your daytime pajamas and your nighttime pajamas mixed up, it's okay. And another one referred to us as pajama Christians. That time influenced us. Some of the effects are still here, but I'm working on it for me. It's not consistent with God's word. The Lord has commissioned and prepared the church to overcome the world, to win the battle, John 5, 5. The priests of the most high God, 1 Peter 2, 5. Priests in the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? Not part of the old order of priests, but priests of Jesus. We're to be a kingdom of heaven and conquer the gates of hell. We're to be attacking the gates of hell. We are to be composed of those who love and follow Christ in obedience and do the work of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. That's where the owner comes in. We are to be him. We're to make known the manifold witness of God and love others as God's love to the world. How do we do these things? We don't. He does. He does it through us. The, the whole building, this is Ephesians 2 again, the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. How holy do we feel? Scripture says we are a holy temple of the Lord. <clears throat> I can't help but be reminded of the old saying, what we do is more, far more important than what we say as a witness, the way we live our life. But we are a dwelling place for God's Spirit. 
How's the world going to see that? Through what our church does. How do we how do we do what the Holy Spirit wants us to do? Well, the simple answer is prayer. Anybody here think they pray too much? No. Most of us have to say not enough. There are three principles that I jotted down a long time ago from somebody's sermon, but I don't remember who. The first is the surrender principle, the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. The second is the scripture principle. Jesus said, abide in me. Without me, you can do nothing. And the third is the Holy Spirit principle. He intercedes, helps us pray, helps us understand, inspires, and illuminates. That's how he deals with us. How are we supposed to deal with him? Well, it's called obedience. And it's called prayer. The more time we spend praying, the better we will represent the Lord to the world. The Bible is God's revelation of himself, his word. The more we read it, the more we let it soak in, the more we behave like he wants us to. The more we listen to VJ, that's going to happen. The more we listen to Todd, that's going to happen. The church is a place where it's fellowship, it's action, where we support each other, pray together, work together, love together, and behave like Christians. If we claim to love Christ but ignore his word and his body, we're out of fellowship. Believers are to be a contributing, active member of the body. If you're not active in church work, you're depriving the church of your gifts. And don't tell me you don't have any, because when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings at least one and maybe more. And those are not for our personal use, those are for the good of the church. Let's look again at our three enemies. Satan, I, need, I don't need to describe very much. We know who he is. We just don't think about him a lot. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the tempter. And he's persistent. Remember, when he tempted Jesus, he left for how long? For a time. He's coming back. The way of the world is, you know, that's what we've grown up with. I better start watching what I'm doing here. And experienced all of our life. Some call that common sense. Some call it street smart. It's how we deal with the world. But it's not how we're supposed to deal with the Holy Spirit. Third is our own sinful nature. You already know about that one. 
Don't tell me you don't have this unless you're one of God's angels in disguise. Know what you believe. Believe what you know. Do it. We have two natures. One gained by growing up in the world, the other from the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Part of the job of our fellowship is to be able to share the burden of living with those two natures. Be able to share the burden of when we didn't do it well. And in a small group, to have the faith that it's not going to go any further than that. That's what we're supposed to be. We're a place for God to dwell in this world. He's the head, we're the body. He told us to remember. Remember always brings to the forefront of your mind those things that God has done for us in the past. There's a list in Romans chapter 8. I'm not going to go through them because I don't have time. There's a list in Romans chapter 8 of all the things God does for us as believers to get us ready to do what he wants us to do. Outline that list because it, it's impressive. We're gifted by the Spirit for the good of the body. We are to be set apart from the world to the gospel, Romans 1.1. 1, 1. We are created and powered by God's Holy Spirit. This is Acts 2. And he deliberately and personally breathed life into believers together in unity of spirit, obedience, and waiting. In summary, we are to live, practice the fruit of the Spirit. Live like God's in charge, one step at a time, and that we are the church that Jesus loves. But as love for each other grows colder, as the world seeks to isolate for self-protection, as each seeks to selfishly gain their own self-interest, we must be careful not to join the world. This is the last opinion. I'm going to make everybody mad. To truly be a fellowship, and we are supposed to be a fellowship, we should not let music separate us. It's ridiculous. Scott has all the talent, the energy, and the love for us that he can seek a compromise that won't offend anybody. If he does, they need to be offended. Like most sermons and most scripture, the value is not in the reading or the listening. It's not even in the knowing it well or memorizing. It's applying our knowledge and our scriptures to our heart and to life and our behavior 
becoming like him. In this day and time, as the world approaches the end times, we need help to cope with a whirlwind of changes, mostly negative, in the wrong direction, to keep from isolation and hatred and be a witness at the time our world needs a witness. So seek the Lord. Tell him. Ask him. Get involved. First Chronicles 16, 10-12 says, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth. There's the old, old gospel singer based, J.D. Sumner, who was kind of a clown at times, or very serious sometimes. One day as he was gathered with his fellow, he was not a Baptist, as he was gathered together with his fellow Baptists, he, said, he finally said, well, I believe Baptists are going to go to heaven first. Somebody asked him why. He said, well, the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise. Let that sink in. Get involved in your church. Don't sit on your hands. Let our love show to the world. Let's pray. Lord, Father God, Lord, you know everything that was heard. Lord, we just ask that you'd help us become more like you. Help us do your will. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.